Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, this is the Intellectuals podcast. Unfortunately, it's only me, your favorite, of course. Uh, the others are a bit busy doing other projects, so I thought I'd bring to you um, the topic of politics behind the extended continental shelf. So here we go. So most people think that a country's border stops either at a different border, for, like bordering another country, or it just stops on the coast. But actually, uh, there's there's a lot of politics going on with what happens beyond the coast and in the sea. And prescribed by a 1982 United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, uh, past the country's coast, up to 22 kilometers, uh, is considered territorial waters. So the country holds complete sovereignty over that area. Um, it it uh, their country's rules apply there, for instance, and they control all the resources in that area. Now, past that is their EEZ, or the Exclusive Economic Zone, which stretches 370.4 kilometers from the coast. Now, this is considered international waters, um, but however, the country owns all, resor- all resources below the sea. So that includes sort of fishing or oil, for example, if there is any. Um, and, that, and for most countries, that's it. However, some countries are able to apply for an extended continental shelf, which allows the country to own sovereignty over all non-living resources of up to 648 kilometers from shore. Now, not every country can claim this. And, and how, how, how does a country, a country qualify for this? Uh, they have to scientifically prove that the EEZ is part of a continental shelf which doesn't immediately slope down to the ocean floor. So it has to be part of a natural the natural terrain which doesn't which doesn't uh, immediately rival the ocean floor itself. Now as I've said this is scientifically proven. Uh, the evidence has to be collected by the countries themselves but it is then submitted to the UN Commission on Limits of Continental uh, Shelf or the CLCS. Uh, this commission is heavily apolitical, but this does not mean that the claims, of course, uh, can't be political, politically derived. Uh, now, why do why why should the country even want to do this? Because it takes a lot of a lot of resources, a lot of capital to get a project like this moving, and it doesn't necessarily yield results. For instance, you might conduct a survey and find that your country has no continental shelf to claim. So. However, um, for instance, you gain more access to possibility of resources, for instance, and some of the case studies I'll be uh, briefly outlining does do have that. And there's also the idea of extending your, extending your territory, uh, as I've said, the access to resources, and also having, there's, there's a lot, there's even a cultural significance, as we will see later with the Arctic. So the first study we have is in New Zealand. Uh, where the government spent now being the professional that we are I think we've chosen a subject that probably heavily heavily relies on maps so of course we did this via a podcast I'll try to send uh, on the on our Instagram I'll try to post some photos which may provide some a lot of context and like it might be easier to see on the map than me just reading out figures for instance but I doubt any of you are like blindly on our Instagram while you're listening but anyway um uh 
So the government spent seven years and $44 million to collect data for New Zealand's submission to the CLCS. Uh, in a bid that ultimately proved to be successful, the claim to the continent to the extended continental shelf added 1.7 million square kilometers on top of the existing EEZ of 4 million square kilometers. Now, for perspective, the area of New Zealand, the habitable land area, is 268,021 uh, square kilometers. Now, this gives New Zealand access to vast amounts of seabed resources and it will, it will help drive the ocean economy and the economy of New Zealand as a whole. Uh, next, we can also move to Portugal, which building upon its uh, maritime history and heritage, also wants to develop uh, its maritime economy in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, in, in 2005, a task force was set up and after 400 days of surveying, uh, after uh, 400 days was done to collect the necessary data. Now, the claim has been submitted, but it has not been validated or approved by the commission yet. But if it was fully accepted in the form that it has been, Portugal could double its territory with the coast, with the continental shelf adding 2.1 million square kilometers. Portugal could become one of the largest countries in the world even if only 3% of its land would be above the sea level. Now, for Portugal, it's a slightly different case than New Zealand. Uh, it would have access not only to natural resources, of course, but also it would be very strategic as a sort of a bouncing point from Europe to anything past the Atlantic Ocean, as I don't have a map to show, do I? Uh, as you'll see on the map in our Instagram, um, it covers it would mean Portugal's territory extends significantly into the Atlantic Ocean and the hopes are that uh, ports could be built sort of to help facilitate trade along the route. Uh, one area also that's hotly contested is actually the Arctic um, and for good reason. Um, not only is it estimated that 22% of undiscovered oil and gas reserves are within the Arctic Circle, um, there's also countries have actually laid claim to the North Pole, which is actually quite interesting. Now, the USA, Norway, Russia, Canada and Denmark through Greenland have all laid claims in the Arctic, although USA's and Norway's claims are not as deep as the others, as the Commission ruled, as they've submitted their claims. But the Commission um, will not validate any claims further past in further into the Arctic. Um, of course, it's very difficult to do it in the Arctic as well. It's, it's difficult anywhere, but it's especially difficult with the temperatures and the high demands in that area. Um, all three of Russia, Denmark's and Canada's um, claims, they, uh, they all claim the North Pole, a culturally significant location, sort of, you know, one of the last frontiers uh, for humanity. Of course, we've moved on since then, but it's still culturally significant and all of them lay claim and all of these claims overlap at some point. So I know, uh, for instance, there have been instances uh, back to the point that these claims can be political that I, I'm pretty sure is Canada again, showing my professionalism here, Canada, uh, uh, the scientist first proposed a claim, but the government then withdrew it and submitted another one, which was far more ambitious. 
you know, any chance to gain access to those potential resources. Um, now, despite the heavy concentration of claims uh, in the Arctic Circle, all countries have so far expressed willingness to solve uh, any potential future disputes uh, through peaceful means. Now, that's quite interesting because although they, they have expressed a willingness, of course, but uh, there are potentially millions of dollars of revenue on the line in terms of the untapped resources and um, the Arctic Circle, while it has been sort of, I'm not going to say neglected, but it hasn't been used by uh, trade and, and humanity to its fullest extent. Of course, with global warming, that will help. Uh, less icebreakers will be needed, for instance, and you can have regular trade going on. Uh, for, there's already increasing uh, shipping activity in the Arctic and the North Sea Line along Russia and in Canada due to the retreat of ice. And then the, the, that there's going to be developments. You know, we're going to have ship trafficking uh, to make sure that um, to improve efficiency and streamline all the transport. Um, so it will probably be quiet in terms of conflict between the countries and from the 20 in the 2020s and even potentially the 2030s because even if the claims were approved or disproved uh, extracting the resources uh, will become is still um, in our day technologically uh, very talent challenging and of course there's also the pushback for the environmental concerns over you know sticking huge pipes sort of uh, suck the oil out of the earth, for instance, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, one interesting wrinkle is that um, the Denmark's claim is particularly interesting uh, because it's a ploy for Denmark to keep Greenland within um, sort of within the sovereignty of Denmark. While uh, Greenland has been wanting independence, but not wanting, but it has been wanting, but it hasn't pushed for it. Uh, this is one way for Denmark to delay that at least for the time being. Uh, Greenland doesn't have the resources to stake a claim in the Arctic. Uh, they just don't have the funding. They, they don't have the capital necessary. While well, Denmark does, but it can't lay the claim without Greenland. Uh, Greenland is the spot where the extended continental shelf sort of uh, starts from. Now, we've already covered the South China Sea on the podcast, so I don't want to get into too much detail here. But as I've already mentioned, uh, yeah, we've mentioned that before, but this idea of the continental shelf and the EEZ has been used by China to justify their nine dash line, sort of their claim over the sovereignty of the resources in the South China Sea. Except they've done that slightly interest a different way because, you know, originally they didn't have islands there to sort of uh, have a claim basic from them. So, you know, China just goes out and starts building their own islands and claiming EEZs off of them, which I, th I think that's pretty, you know, coming from a 17-year-old, that's pretty in that's pretty cool, like, just building your own island. But, you know, most of these haven't been recognized yet. And also, one area where the extended continental shelf has been important, and the idea of EEZs, of course, uh, has been actually used in the Aegean Sea by Turkey and Greece. But I don't think we could justify just briefly mentioning that in this podcast. So I think I think I'm a, I'm going to cover the Aegean Sea and the disputes between Turkey, Greece, uh, 
Libya and Syria. I think I'll cover all of that in a different podcast. Maybe the others, maybe the other intellectuals will join if they, if they want to, if they're not busy, of course. But I think that's pretty much it. I think it's interesting how uh, politics extends uh, beyond the coast and, you know, uh, it maybe seem hard to like what you can't exactly draw a line in the ocean, sort of, this water's mine, it's not yours anymore. But countries do try, and of course, you know, anything for those natural resources, of course, you know, to secure, so you don't remain vulnerable to any of the other commodity countries, but it's going to be very interesting, especially in the Arctic, um, in the following decades. So that's, those are my two cents on the idea, sort of. Uh, I apologize for the other intellectuals not being here. Perhaps it could have been more stimulating. But yeah, that's all for me. Uh, I think next next podcast might be on Venezuela, uh, featuring uh, the three amigos, I hope. But anyway, uh, that's all from me. Uh, I'm part of the intellectuals, and I'm done here.